Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Marty McDermott, the president of Franchise Interviews, and I can't start today's show without talking about the ISO 10002. You know, some people just love to complain, but companies have a responsibility to care. The International Organization for Standardization, ISO, has revised ISO 10002, the standard for complaint handling. This document enables organizations to foster a customer-focused environment, open the feedback, heightening their customer satisfaction. You can get the ISO 10002 standard from the American National Standards Institute, ANSI, the U.S. member body of ISO. Visit ANSI.org forward slash complain to learn more. That's ANSI.org forward slash complain to learn more. Franchise interviews from Easton, Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia. You're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews. Welcome to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews has been giving an up-close, behind-the-scenes look at franchising and entrepreneurship. Listen to interviews with franchisers, franchisees, franchise authors, franchise experts, and attorneys. And now, welcome your host, Marty McDermott, and Franchise Interviews. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews, where for over 11 years now, we've been asking the franchipreneurs of all in one. I'm your host, Marty McDermott. I'm the president of Franchise Interviews, and we have a great show today. We're meeting with Ken Peterson, founder of Apricot Lane Boutique, a national, fashion, a national fashion boutique franchise offering branded apparel, accessories, and gifts. Apricot Lane has 75-plus boutiques nationwide and is the leading women's fashion boutique franchise. We're going to talk to Ken about that in just a moment on Franchise Interviews. So stick around because we have a great show. The Stone Coat Franchise Opportunity. Are you looking for a unique and lucrative franchise opportunity? If so, take a look at Stone Coat. With a patented process which creates a true stone finish on almost any wall or ceiling, Stone Coat is a true game-changing product in the multi-billion dollar construction industry. Stone Coat is applied faster, cleaner, and cheaper than conventional quarried stone, which saves both time and money. With advantages in remodel and new construction of both residential and commercial projects, Stone Coat is a true crossover product. The Stone Coat franchise opportunity provides a low startup cost, low operating expenses, comprehensive training, ongoing support, and no royalty payments. For more information on the Stone Coat franchise opportunity, go to www.stonecoatfranchise.com. That's www.stonecoatfranchise.com or call us at 972-380-2700. That's 972-380-2700. Hi, this is Connie McDermott, Administrative Assistant for Franchise Interviews, LLC, and you're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews, from Easton, Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia. You're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews. 
Hi, everyone, and welcome back to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews, where for over 11 years now, we've been asking the franchipreneurs one one I'm your host, Marty McDermott. I'm the president of Franchise Interviews, and as we were saying earlier, we have a great show today. We're meeting with Ken Peterson, founder of Apricot Lane Boutique, a national fashion boutique franchise offering branded apparel, accessories, and gifts. Apricot Lane has 75-plus boutiques nationwide and is the leading women's fashion boutique franchise. Hi, Ken. How are you? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much, Marty. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is my pleasure, Ken. You know, when I read your story, I was really um, inspired. We always like to ask our guests, where are you calling from this morning, Ken? I'm calling from uh, Northern California up in the Sacramento area. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I was saying earlier, Ken, I mean, you have such an amazing story. You started your career as a firefighter in California. Why did you choose to pursue retail entrepreneurship? Well, Marty, it's uh, it's actually pretty simple. You know, if you understand firefighters and the way we work, mm-hmm. we work 10, 24-hour shifts a month. And so a lot right. of us guys, you know, and, and gals, we'd moonlight, and a lot of them would do construction and manual labor type of jobs. But, uh, you know, I didn't want to get calluses on my hands, and so I got into retail back in the 80s. Did you learn anything, Ken? I mean, did, you know, being a firefighter, I mean, did it kind of like, you know, prepare you? It seemed to me like, you know, in studying your background that, you know, entrepreneurship was, was, was kind of in your blood, um, you right. know, so it was kind of like you were destined to do this. But, you know, did being a firefighter kind of prepare you for entrepreneurship as well? Oh, without a doubt, uh, Marty. You know, I, I tell my staff and our franchisees, too, that I'm still a firefighter. I'm just putting out different kinds of fires today. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. That's great. You know, you operated a, a, re, a retail furniture concept, Ken. You know, as well as a collectibles retail concept. Maybe you know you could tell you know our listeners about your transition from operating those concepts to launching Apricot Lane. It's a great story. Yeah, sure, Marty. Um, well, it all it all started kind of back in the '80s. My partner and I started uh, uh, kind of a one furniture store. We expanded it into four stores and got involved in wholesale and distribution and. My partner and I, we were on different firefighter shifts. So when I was working, um, he ran the stores and vice versa. So we had sold the the furniture concept, and I wanted to get into gifts and collectibles and home decor. I told my partner, I said, you know, I am tired of carrying these bedroom sets upstairs on my days off and then lifting gurneys into ambulances when I'm working. I said, I'm never going to make it. So, so. so we created, uh, I told my partner if we could create a successful business model that I wanted to franchise it because I believe so strongly in the franchise model. So right. after about the first three stores of testing and writing our operations manuals, we franchised a gift and collectible concept in 1993 called Country Clutter. You know, heavy in, heavy in collectibles. And then actually sure. when those sales started to erode, you know, we started looking at how we, what are we going to replace this category with? And we started replacing it with fashion accessories like jewelry and handbags and scarves. And, and what I saw was that the sell-through of these fashion accessories and the margins were so much stronger than gifts. And right. uh, it caused me to actually look at the women's fashion industry. And when I looked at the women's fashion industry, I said, my gosh, there is nobody that is offering a women's fashion kind of boutique concept in the entire huge fashion industry market. And so, you know, you've kind of heard that find a need and fill it. Well, right. that's, what we, that's what we did. You know, we took our 15 years of franchise experience and we intentionally we intentionally went into the women's fashion um, industry with this concept of can we be successful 
creating a concept for a mom and daughter kind of customer, you know, by curating a, a broad and a shallow merchandise mix with price points under 100. So we wanted to shatter this boutique stereotype of high prices, and that's how Apricot Lane was launched. We launched in 2007. That's fantastic. I, you know, it's it's a nice segue. We were talking last week on the show, Ken. You know, it, it's you know your story. You know, it's we were mentioning that, you know, when people get into entrepreneurship, it's it's really not it's not about you. You know, it's about you know the industry. And you're talking about you know saying that you know you identified that you know the, the margins were just so profitable in the industry that you're in now. You know, it just made so much sense to go into it. You know, so I I love the story. I know everyone. You probably get the question all the time. You know how. How did you get the name Apricot Lane? Because it's got a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. We've we've fallen in love certainly with the name, but it, it didn't start that way, Marty. You know, we <laughs> we started back then. You know, I've got some experience. You know, we named a, a concept Country Clutter before. You know, clutter was unique and different, but kind of right. had a negative connotation. But I gave criteria to our staff and to a consultant, and the criteria that I gave was, you know, we're looking for a name that when you look across the parking lot. I want something mm-hmm. that's kind of nondescript, but created some curiosity. You know, you see Apricot Lane across the parking lot, but you know, it could be a lot of different things. Um, and so right. I, I also didn't want, you know, a contemporary name like Wet Seal or something like that. I wanted something right. a little more sophisticated. And, it, and certainly it had to be trademarked. And then the last piece I gave the team was not, not a need to have, but a nice to have. If it can start with an A, then I wanted to be at the top of the women's fashion directories and mall directories and lifestyle centers and all that. So Apricot Lane kind of made the first cut and like any good name, it just kind of, you know, grew on us and grew on us. And, and it really wasn't until after we opened the first few store Apricot Lane, um, that I started to understand the power of the name boutique and what woman Marty doesn't love checking out a new boutique in town. So we added boutique to Apricot Lane, and every storefront now says Apricot Lane Boutique. That's fantastic. That's that's a great story. It kind of reminds me of like you know when Amazon first came out. You know, I mean, it wasn't just you know, it wasn't tagged books. You know, I mean, and Amazon just became starting with an A. <laughs> you know, this the, really one of the biggest retailers. You know, so it, it's fantastic. Why do you believe the franchising model is is a great fit for uh, Apricot Lane Boutique? Ken, it sounds like, you know, you, you believed in franchising, you know, really from the get-go, which I think is great because it prepared you, you know, for the operation manuals and things like that. But what do you think it was a good fit? Uh, it's, uh, it's so true. You know, I'm, I am just ultimately passionate about the uh, franchising. I believe strongly in the model. And, and, I, and, and if the premise of any franchisor, if the premise truly is that the franchisor exists to the support and the success of their franchisees, and, and what a great partnership that is. And so our right. franchisees get to benefit from from our 26 years of experience because we want them to be able to focus on their store, their staff, their customers, and, and really their community. It's a big part of who we are. And so they get to do that because, you know, we get their back, you know, with technology right. and marketing and PR and fashion trends and oh my gosh, social media, Marty, it changes. It seems like every week, and uh, so right. we're staying up on top of all of that and staff development and leverage buying discounts and networking and and you know our franchisees get to wake up every morning looking forward to doing something that they love and and that's not really a, a just a dream. It really is a possibility with Apricot Lane, and that's what fuels me is helping people 
be successful in business. And uh, we take franchisees with no retail background or experience, and and they become very successful not only in one Apricot Lane store but uh, in multiple stores. It sounds like that's part of your joy in the business too, Ken. You know, I know that a lot of times, you know, when a uh, successful business, they start franchising, they realize it, it's such a different animal. But, but to me, you know, in reading and studying your background is, you know, just you had this passion for retail, but you also have this passion for franchising at the same time, you know, and, and I think that's fantastic. I think that's why, of course, you know, you've been so successful. We started doing the show, Ken, in 2006. So you remember back in, you know, 2008, where, you know, you're going through this this recession but apricot lane boutique i mean grew during the u.s recession partly due to the partnership you had with walt disney corporation maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that partnership and its, its impact on the brand oh yeah timing is everything huh and uh, yeah <laughs> in, in 2008 and then we went into the recession 9 10 and 11 but but soon after we launched Apricot Lane, we, we received this fantastic award from the International Council of Shopping Center as the hot new retailer for women's fashion. And, wow. and it, was because, it was because we were bringing franchising to women's fashion. We were doing something that nobody else had ever done. And so I go up to Vegas to accept this award, and Disney happens to be in the audience. And, you know, wow. 5,000 folks of uh, developers and retailers and leasing people. And so... Uh, you know, they ended up calling me after the convention and uh, invited me to Anaheim, where long, you know, took took a while to negotiate this. But we ended up with a six-month temporary opportunity in downtown Disney Anaheim. And and it's funny wow. because I remember I remember asking my Disney guy. I said, uh, now now why would I spend all the money in construction? You're not going to give me right. a dime just for a six-month deal. And here's what they answered. They said they looked me square in the eyes and they said, because we're Disney. And I went, yep, good answer. And uh, I remember going back to my partners and telling them, my gosh, guys, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll put in a 30-day, you know, uh, month-to-month caveat and, and, right. uh, and see if we can extend this. But this is something that we've got to do. It is, it is going to put us on the map. It's going to give us international exposure. You can't pay for that. And so here we are, knee-deep in a recession. My phone's ringing off the hook with every developer because every developer wants the hot new retailer. That was us. Right. And we said yes to Disney. And uh, that international exposure, you know, in addition to the developers and the demand for the brand, we just grew right through that silly recession. That's fantastic. It's like you say, timing is everything, isn't it, Ken? You're at right place, right time, weren't you? <laughs> we were in the right place, the right time. And the, the amazing thing, Marty, is, Three weeks after we opened the store, my Disney contact came to me and he says, Ken, you're not going to believe this. You know, we don't believe this. You know, our guests are coming to guest services and they're thanking us for bringing you to Apricot, bringing Apricot Lane to, wow, to downtown Disney. Fantastic. And he that's says to me, he says, how fast can you open in downtown Orlando if we gave you an opportunity? And so my response to him was faster than anybody else you're talking to. And uh, we opened in Orlando uh, in August after opening in Anaheim in May. So pretty crazy. We ended up being the longest temporary store in Disney's history. That six-month deal turned out to be a -a three-and-a-half-year deal in Anaheim and a four-year opportunity in Orlando. It was just crazy, crazy good timing. 
That's fantastic. It really is. It's it's a great story. You know, <clears throat> Apricot Lane Ken is dedicated to creating a positive impact. I was reading a, you know about this yesterday. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about the three S, uh, the three strand shop, and also the three strands foundation, um, as well as how how they were launched. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, part of our vision statement, Marty Fraper Cut Lane, is to make a positive impact in the lives of people as we continue to grow with them yeah. through our stores. And, and and it was seven years ago that I sent out this letter to my franchise system asking them to share the charities and the causes that, that they were engaged in and passionate right. about so that maybe we could pick one corporately that we could all embrace and use the leverage of our system and, and make that positive impact around the world. And and uh, no coincidence that three days after that letter went out, my wife called me, and she asked me if I would consider hosting a young girl, a victim of sex trafficking from Cambodia, who, right. with four other girls, were coming to America to testify against a bad guy, American pedophile, who was arrested right. in Cambodia when these five girls were rescued. And, and you know, they needed a host family for up to one year, and long story short, I said yes, and and only uh, um, then was I introduced to human trafficking and the horror of sex trafficking and what these girls right. went through. And today that young girl is my daughter, and I got to meet this uh, this crazy man, Don Brewster, the founder of Agape International Missions. He's my hero. It's the organization that rescued my daughter. And I went to him and wow. I said, Don, how else can I help? You know, what else can I do? I, right. thought, he'd, I thought he'd say something easy, Marty, like write a check, but... He, right, he right. said, Ken, what we need is we need jobs for these girls, and it's a it's a job that gives them a hope for a future and provides dignity and self-esteem, and right. can you help us with that? And I went, oh, my gosh. I said, I, I just sent this letter out to my franchise system, Don. I'm going to Vegas in a couple of weeks. Let me talk to him. And right. in Vegas, uh, I shared the story that I just shared with you to my franchise system before I could finish. The arms were going up in the air saying, hey, Ken, let's go, let's go after this, and and uh, so proud of our franchise system, and that's how we embrace the issue of human trafficking. And it's a it's a dark, it's an evil, it's a even hard to right. talk about issue. And I right. know of no of other retailer that's really embraced it. And uh, um, and we've gone after it for seven years. Three Strands was born, and it's a brand of bracelets and fashion accessories that we distribute all around the world. And it's creating jobs for uh, hundreds and hundreds of women that have been rescued from. Uh, sex trafficking, and it's providing those jobs that Don so desperately needed. I was reading, Ken, that, um, you know, you have a new CEO and president uh, of retail. Uh, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit, um, you know, about, you know, their backgrounds and, you know, what's their role at Apricot Lane today? We, we do. I have a new CEO, Patrick Stewart. He replaced me in uh, last year, November of 2017. And, um, you know, I've been running this company for 26 years, got to a place that I needed to retire, kind of create some family life balance and uh, work more on this issue of human trafficking and still be right. involved in the company. And, and uh, um, But Patrick comes with over 20 years in retail background from Sears wow. Holding, where he was the chief marketing officer. And before that, he was the VP of marketing for Crazy Shirts in Hawaii. And, uh, and then he helped grow the walking company from 50 to 220 stores. So he's been a powerful source. It was, uh, it was a, such an easy transition for me that I thought was going to be very hard. And uh, he's got the new energy and uh, um, new ideas. And it's just been a great shot in the arm for the brand. 
And then recently, just this uh, last week, actually, we hired uh, Chris Lanning. He's our new president of retail, and uh, he has over 30 years of retail background and senior leadership roles with wow. just world-class brands, and Gap and Limited Brands and DSW and Coca-Cola. And I met him actually last year. I uh, invited him to be on the advisory council of Three Strands. I got to know him well, and uh, and the fit and their culture and everything was just spot on. We brought him on board, and this week's been his first week. He'll be at Magic at our franchise convention in Vegas uh, on uh, Monday. That's terrific, and that's really what you get, you know, when you're buying a franchise, Ken. And you know this, of course, is I mean, you're getting the experience of the franchiser, you know. And that's one of the messages that you know we've always mentioned over the last almost 12 years now is, you know, you want to look towards the experience of the franchiser. And, and Apricot Lane certainly has uh, many years' experience, don't they? Oh, they do. It's that experience that that is a big part of any franchise system, just like you said. Right. I mean, you know, we've made mistakes all along the way, but the right. mistakes that we've made are to ensure that our franchisees don't have to dip into those potholes that uh, that we've uh, dipped into over the years. So it's a it's a big part of any good franchise company is to be able to share that experience and the resources and the talent that's part of the franchise group. Terrific. How do you typically describe Apricot Lane when you're meeting with a, a prospective franchisee, Ken, or, or if you were at like a franchise trade show, you know, when someone came up to your booth and, you know, because the name, as you say, it, it doesn't indicate, you know, what you exactly do. How do you describe the franchise opportunity to a prospective franchisee? I think I think the way that I describe it just very quickly is that we're just we're an on-trend women's fashion boutique that caters to mm-hmm. mom and daughters with price points under a hundred dollars. And right, and Apricot right. Lane in that description offers impeccable quality and on-trend design and flexibility. That's key for us: flexibility to curate products to our franchisees' customers' needs and understanding that. We've got all the franchise support that they need. So it's that mom and daughter price points under $100 that just really kind of focuses in on who we are. You were talking earlier, Ken, about, you know, social media, you know, and how it's just it's it's constantly changing. And, And I'm sure I guess, you know, for you, that's probably been, of course, one of the biggest changes in retail. How has social media played a role in the business or does it play a role in the business today? Well, you know, I said earlier, social media seems like it changes every week. You really have right. to stay on top of it. And so we've got social media experts within our company. But it does, Marty, play a huge part in how our stores effectively kind of build and maintain that top-of-mind awareness and customer engagement. But for this and in our system, we've got a customized software program that is a centralized hub that post all the social media channels in one place. So we try to say, take something that can be very complicated and simplify it. But uh, in addition to that, we're really good at grassroots uh, types of things and using social media to seek out those social media influencers and, you know, like fashion bloggers in their local communities right. and, and the marketplaces. And, and then our marketing, our in-house marketing department does a fabulous job of creating marketing campaigns that, that engages our customers to become our social media influencers themselves to their friends and their families and right. their network. And, and so we're constantly doing really creative things. And it's not, it's not uncommon to open an Apricot Lane store because we start social media months before you open. So we're taking wow. them through the construction process and we're saying we're coming, we're coming, we're coming. 
and we'll have a, a thousand or two thousand people following us before a store even opens. And that's how wow, that's important amazing. social media is to us. It's amazing how social media has such an impact on business today. You know, it, it's yeah. just it's really incredible how powerful it is. You know, it, it and I think it's 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 very exciting. We were talking earlier about you know franchisees can uh, you know, and I know you meet with a lot of them. What types of characteristics do you look for in your franchisees when when you're meeting with them? Well, well, one of the things I shared with you in our vision statement is to make a positive impact in the lives of right. people while being the world class, you know, brand for for women's fashion is a franchise. But it, we want our franchisees to understand that, accept that. We want franchisees that are going to use their store to make a positive impact in the lives of people in their community. That's a big, great fit for us. But beyond that, we certainly want folks that love to work with people. Um, you, you don't right. have to have this, you know, drooling passion for fashion, but you certainly have to have a sense for fashion or an affinity for fashion. Sure. Um, we certainly want, you know, strong organizational skills and and you have to financially, you know, be stable and qualified. But we want you to be able to to commit with us and, and, and want to learn and want to grow and want to be part of something bigger than just yourself. And so when I meet somebody, those are the key points that I'm looking for as we onboard somebody into our family of stores. That's terrific. What what are Apricot Lane's plans for the future, Ken? I mean, if you can look into a crystal ball, you know, three years, five years, or maybe even ten years down the road, where, where do you see the organization? Well, you know, we're we're growing at a at a pretty healthy clip. Our pipeline pipeline is just uh, very full, but we're expecting to grow at the rate of twenty to thirty stores um, per year. And, and what's really important to us is that we stay ahead of our growth through effective planning. And, and I just always want to ensure that we don't grow faster than we can support. Um, and and right. my, my feeling about growth is that our franchisees should never, you know, feel or be impacted with any growing pains. And so, right. you know, steady, ongoing, annual growth is healthy for us and for our franchisees. And that's our, our plans over the next uh, three to five years. Yeah, I think that's great. You don't want to get too big too fast. We referenced um, on our show a couple times, you know, during the last decade, Ken, you know, one of the stories is Dave Thomas was Wendy's was getting too big too fast. And they were opening up, I think it was like one store every day. And Mm -hmm. it just got so overwhelming for them that they were actually closing at the same time other stores because it was just too big too fast, you know. So I I think that uh, that growth strategy um, is, is, is really very effective. What's the best way for our listeners, Ken, to get more information on Apricot Lane? Um, as far as the product itself and, and especially the franchise opportunity, are there any websites that they can go to to get more information? Yeah, sure. The best website to go to is just uh, Um okay. All the information. One of the things about us, Marty, is we put all of the information up on our website. I mean, millennials and 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 that uh, that group, I mean, they want all the information. They typically know so much about us before they even pick up the phone and call us. <laughs> all that information is right there in our website. That's fantastic. Well, I've really enjoyed having you on the show today, Ken. I think this is a wonderful franchise opportunity, and I would like to, you know, like to invite you back as you continue to grow because I think Apricot Lane has a great franchise opportunity. So it was a pleasure speaking with you today. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Marty. Thanks so much, Ken. This has been my pleasure. We'll be right back with more franchise interviews. 
Coming up on segment two, you're going to hear what every franchisepreneur needs to know before buying a franchise. We're going to play a clip from our popular Great Quotes in Franchising podcast right here on Franchise Interviews. Are you looking for a franchise that delivers? Businesses will always need shipping, and for more than 25 years, loyal customers have depended on Unishippers for reliable savings and exceptional customer service. Unishippers is focused on just one thing, helping small and medium-sized businesses save time and money on all their shipping needs. And as the largest reseller of complete shipping services in the country, we have the buying power to ensure that we succeed. The Unishippers franchise offers low startup costs, no equipment or real estate required because they're not retail, residual income, and a quality of life and work-life balance. For more information on becoming a Unishippers franchisee, go to www.unishippers.com and click Franchise Opportunities or call Franchise Development at 801-708-5822. That's 801-708-5822. Franchise Teacher. Would you like to know how to franchise your concept? or grow your franchise business. Meet the experts at Franchise Teacher. The goal of Franchise Teacher is to teach, coach, consult, and advise. The team of experts at Franchise Teacher will evaluate your business model and present you with a winning business strategy. Franchise Teacher will help you decide whether or not your concept works and if it's franchisable. Franchise Teacher is proud to have over 30 years of experience in franchising as both franchisees and franchisors. Franchise Teacher are developers of over a dozen franchise systems, which include brick and mortar as well as home-based concepts of nearly 3,000 combined franchise locations. Whether you need to add more units or get more customers, Franchise Teacher can help. We will teach. Franchise Teacher will help you learn our proven system. Coach. Franchise Teacher will help you provide a game plan to succeed. Consult. Franchise Teacher will make sure you stay on track. And advise. Franchise Teacher will help you learn from our over 30 years of experience in franchising as both franchisees and franchisors. Take advantage of our free no-obligation phone consultation. Simply go to FranchiseTeacher.com or call us at 561-385-3032. That's FranchiseTeacher.com or call us at 561-385-3032. Hi everyone, this is Marty McDermott from Franchise Interviews and welcome to another edition of Great Quotes in Franchising each podcast you get to hear a great quote in franchising well today's podcast you're going to get to hear from someone famous in the world of entrepreneurship dr scott shane and dr shane has written many textbooks on the topic of entrepreneurship today uh he's going to be talking a little bit about his book illusions of entrepreneurship which i recommend um that everyone reads we had dr scott on the show twice in the four years uh that we've done this show and and in both instances uh truly amazing game a lot of great information in this particular segment of great quotes and franchising he's going to answer the question what does it really take 
to make a business successful. Uh, he's going to talk about the importance of a good business opportunity, the importance of an industry. He's going to talk about um, easy-to-fix mistakes um, and how entrepreneurs um, can, can fix some of those mistakes, and also the importance, as Don and I always emphasize on the show, due diligence um, on the industry or due diligence on, on any type of business opportunity before you get into it. So why don't we do this? We'll play the clip of Dr. Scott, and we'll see everyone again with another edition of Great Quotes and Friends. Franchising from Franchise Interviews. Take care, everyone. Well, so, so one question is, what does it take to make a new business successful? And one of the things that the book points out is that a lot of the things that we believe, um, that it's a lot about us as people, um, are inaccurate. That things like the kind of business opportunity you have and the industry that you're in account for a lot of performance. And I think what happens to a lot of people is we have this belief as human beings that we want to over-ascribe um, our performance to things that are about ourselves and not about things we can't really control. We can't change our industry very well. We can't change our business opportunities very well. So we like to think that it's us that matters. And it turns right. out that, sure, individuals matter, but the the business opportunity matters um, too, to a great extent. And being able to pick that and what the book tries to do is help people see well what is it about a good opportunity uh, what is it about an industry that makes it good for startups the other thing is that um, people make a lot of mistakes that could easily be corrected they go after the wrong kind of financing they don't do a business plan well they don't form a good team they don't set up the right legal structure and one of the things that the book tries to point out are kind of the easy to fix mistakes the things that are under right. your control so that you can fix the odds i mean you can't decide whether you know your particular product is suddenly going to become the hottest thing ever but you can avoid making a you know mistake about getting you know your cash flow wrong because you don't have um, a financial structure in place to manage cash flow um, and then i think that the other thing is that I think is very useful is for people to get a realistic understanding of where money comes from for financing businesses, because I think people um, labor under a lot of illusions about where that capital comes from, and one of the goals of the book is to say, hey, look, this is how people really get money, and this is what they're going to have to do, and um, you're probably not going to get venture capital, you're probably not going to get business angel money from a lot of businesses. What you're probably going to do is um, either invest your own money or you're going to personally guarantee loans from a bank. Interesting. Yeah, and that's my business, as you might have uh, heard, Dr. Shane. We're, you know, our company's you know talking to many people every day across the country, and there is a lot of you know, misconception. Uh, you know, sometimes people think uh, you know they can you know get financing, for example, as long as they just have good credit. But there's a lot of other things that lenders look for. Uh, you know, with getting uh, uh, financing, so we're uh, always in that uh, you know consulting and you're giving advice mode to people. Uh, and, and helping people with the whole financing part, you know. So really, so what you were just addressing is, you know, really people have to do more, do you know, due diligence, and uh, you know, for people to uh, to do their uh, you know research on an industry and so forth. Uh, uh, you know, I guess you recommend that people should uh, you know, should align themselves with consultants and specialists to help them in this process of considering starting up a business, or if they decide, you know, to make sure they go about it the right way. Well, uh, you know. The they need to get information somehow. Now you can get you can get information by getting help from um, consultants. You could get information by kind of doing research. Uh, you could get information by you know talking to people in an industry. I think one of the um, 
one of the misconceptions that uh, people labor under is that entrepreneurship is easy. You can just, if you got, get an idea, whatever idea you get, you should just go run with it. You should go do it. There's this emphasis on being active and going and doing as opposed to thinking about whether an idea is any good. And one of the things that I think is really important that people always keep in their mind is that once you pick an idea to pursue, you basically cut yourself off from pursuing a better idea that comes along later because you've committed to one idea. And so what you probably want to do is go evaluate an idea and say, is this one really worth doing? Because if I look at it and I say, oh, it's not worthwhile, I still have the option to do a better idea when it comes along. But if I go pursue something that isn't very good, you know, I'm probably going to end up locked into kind of either trying to make a go of it and, 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 and possibly failing. Franchise interviews from Easton, Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia. You're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews.